All right, so we always start out talking about the gospel, and I thought I would read out of Romans tonight. I'm going to read Romans chapter 10, and I'm going to start reading in verse 8. So Romans 10, verse 8. It says, But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth, and in your heart. That is the word of faith, which we are preaching that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all abounding in riches for all who call on him for whoever will call on the name of the lord will be saved will be saved these are these are great great words um and we always want to start out talking about why we're here we're here to learn about this amazing god who became a man came to this planet took on the nature of man of, of a man and lived a life that we couldn't live. He was obedient where Adam was disobedient. He was obedient where we're disobedient. He lived a perfect life. He he never sinned. He did. Uh, he accomplished all the things that we fell at, because he's our ultimate resource. He's our ultimate example. He's the person that we look to to learn from. Any time that we um, want to learn about how to, to do something or how to be the, the person that we need to be, we always look to Christ because he's always our example in everything. And he, led, he leads the way. He led the way to redemption. He took, um, he took the cross for us and our sin was, was imputed upon him at the cross and his perfect righteousness was imputed to us. And so we call that the great exchange and it's the most amazing news that that we could ever be given, ever be told. So we want to talk about that as often as we can because that's the gospel, that we can't be saved by what we do. We can't be saved by works. We can't do enough to be pleasing to God. Uh, the only way we can be saved is through faith, through faith in Jesus Christ, and that's it. It's the only way, and this, this, this reminds us that nobody's going to be turned away that, that believes in Jesus Christ. And there's no distinction. It doesn't matter if you're Jew or Greek. So in other words, it doesn't matter what your background is, right? It doesn't matter what country you're from, what color your skin is. None of those things matter because we're all from Adam, right? We're all from Adam and Eve. And Jesus died for every person who um, would believe in him. So we always want to talk about that, the greatest news in the world. And so we can roll over into because of all these things that Jesus has done for us we want to get to know him right we want to get to know who he is and not only Jesus but the entire Trinity and so we started our study talking about the Trinity because we understood that every one of these attributes that we're studying it, they belong to each member of the Trinity right so we can't say that that the Holy Spirit has certain attributes that Jesus doesn't have, or Jesus has certain attributes that God doesn't have, right? So um, that's important for us to know because we've been going through the immutability of God and knowing that God, um, He does not change. And 
that's good news to us, right? It's good news that God never changes. And each, each member of the Trinity is immutable. And so that's something that should be very comforting to us because they're not going to start arguing <laughs> over over us or over any decision, right? Um, that happens. I know in marriages, sometimes you may disagree on how to discipline your kids or what you want to do or different things, but that never happens in the Trinity because they are perfect, right? They're perfect. And we talked a few weeks ago to, uh, about how that if you have a God that is perfect, then you have a God that doesn't have passions, right? Because passions is something that is fleeting. So we say that a God that has passions is actually a much smaller God, um, a God that is um, that can change. Our God never changes. He's perfect in who he is, and he's full to the maximum. So at all times, he's 100% love. So that's why we say he hasn't, he hasn't passions. You don't need passions if you're 100% perfect, right? 100% love, 100% mercy, 100% righteous. And every attribute that he has, he's 100%. And this is good for us because we can find comfort in that. We can find comfort in that what Jesus has told us that he's doing, that he's coming back, um, and that God has saved us, and his plan of redemption uh, is fixed upon faith alone and Christ alone, then we can rest assured that he's not going to change his mind in that, right? He's not going to all of a sudden say, well, you guys messed up too bad, so away with you, right? <laughs> we don't have to worry about that. So we've been kind of working our way through the mutability of God. Um, some of the things that we covered here is uh, that God unchang is unchanging in his word. That was the next thing that we talked about, which is the Bible. And so we talked about how that culture tries to change the Bible. Um, time tries to change the Bible. People say, well, we need to make the Bible relative. We need to change the way that we present the gospel. We need to change this or that because the Bible is old-fashioned and out of date. But that's not ever the case because God is, his word is timeless. The Bible is timeless. There's never been a generation that's been too far removed that, where the Bible is not relative to them because this is God's perfect word and it's living and it's breathing. And so that's why it's so amazing when we read the Bible. And, you know, it might be the same passage that we've read a thousand times. But we learn something new. It, that, that's absolutely amazing to me. There's passages that I've read my whole life, and right when you think you've got them down, you know, you read them again and you go, wow, <laughs> I never read that before. That's amazing, because the Bible really is living. It's living. And so it's, um, it's so cool that God's Word never changes, though. So even though our knowledge increases, the Bible never changes. It stays the same, right? It's just that the Holy Spirit, He he reveals more things to us the closer that we get to God. Uh, we talked about how that God is unchangeable in his plans, and we talked about how God's plan of redemption is unchangeable. So these are some of the things we've already covered, and we finally got over to understanding the mutability of God in prayer, and that's on page 77. So page 77 is where we're at. And this is a really big topic. We kind of began to dig into it a little bit last week, and there's a lot of um, a lot of good stuff I think that we can think about in prayer. Um, 
because we we know that if God is unchangeable, if He's immutable, then why do we pray? That's one of the questions that we asked last week. Why do we pray to a God who isn't going to change His mind, right? Because He's unchangeable. And we've gone through some different examples of um, anthropomorphic lang language. We're going to look at a little bit more of that later uh, tonight, but. Um, do you guys, has anything um, popped in your head or any questions that you want to talk about in this under this topic of God being immutable in prayer? Any comments or questions or thoughts or anything else that we've covered so far on the immutability? Immuta I can't talk. Immutability of God. <laughs> Our brains are pretty small, <laughs> yeah. you know, and so because we only know an existence that is in time. You know, we were born in a certain year, we learn about some decades before we were here, and we wonder what will happen next, you know, kind of thing. We only understand, like, this conveyor belt that we're on while we're in on this planet. Yeah. So it's very hard to, I think, fully understand or explain how our prayers, you know, popping up along the conveyor belt. From our point of view, how that can be important to an immutable God. Yeah. You know, we talked a little about the relationship aspect, which is huge to God. That's why He reconciled us. It was that important. Um, but also, I think that. Um, you know, God being outside of time, there's nothing that he doesn't know, there's nothing that surprises him. He even knows whether we're going to pray, when we're going to pray, what we're going to pray about. He knew that all. He's always known that. And so, I think we can't explain it. That's my, my opinion on it. You know, the, harder we think about it, the more we realize how limited yeah. our understanding is. Yeah, yeah. That's a good point. That's a good point. Yeah, we can't fully understand God, and that's, um, that's one of the things uh, that, we, that we need to understand, is that God is way beyond our comprehension. Um, but that never stops us from trying, because we love God, so we are always... We're always pursuing that relationship. We want to know more about him. We want to know how that um, his immutability and all of his attributes, how that they glorify him in a greater way, right? Because all of these attributes glorify God. And that's one of the things that is so amazing, is the more that you understand these things, then the higher our view of God becomes. But yeah, that's a, that's a really, really good point. It's a good point, especially about relationships. And we did bring that up last week, talking about that this is prayers. The, one of the ways um, that God has ordained for us to, to communicate with Him. So, and we understand that prayer glorifies God. Uh, it shows God. It, it doesn't. It shows us who God is, and it shows us our dependency upon Him. Right, because. What it, we understand that we are weak and dependent people. We're, we need um, 
that's what's so funny about you know being an American you know is we think you know we're gonna we're Americans you know we can do anything we can survive we can pull ourselves up by our bootstraps we can do whatever we want to do right and so we have this independence but Christianity teaches us no we have we have dependence <laughs> we need to be dependent upon God upon a God who's perfect and has the strength to do what uh, what we cannot do and the sooner that we learn that <laughs> the better off that we are right if we think we can do things on our own and we don't need to pray we don't need to rely on God uh, then it just shows our pride right it shows that we are very proud people and the prouder we are the more self-reliant that we are uh, the f why would why do we need God right why do we need God if we're if we're so awesome and so great so prayer one of the things that prayer that prayer does is it it humbles us, right? It, we understand that we're a weak person, that we need God. We need God desperately, and so we cry out to Him. Um, we, don't, we don't only cry out to Him, but we praise Him because of His greatness. There's so many different aspects of prayer. And so this is one of the things that that does is it, it, it shows us that, um, that strength that God has. And in our relationship, you know, that you're talking about, it begins to be strengthened whenever we understand who we truly are. We're a creature dependent upon a mighty and awesome and perfect God, right? So that's um, that's very, very important. Very important. Yeah. There's a few other things we're going to talk about. About prayer and immutability in the immutability of God. Um, let's look at the first point here on this page. It says liberty and changeability are two different things. And then I've got a quote, and um, it says, "Having freely decreed his good pleasure in eternity, God executes that immutable, immutable decree in time." So this is just saying that God has liberty to to do certain things and that's why that um that we say that liberty and changeability are two separate things so god has the liberty to make decisions he has the liberty to do things but um he's made these decisions in time past and so in you know he was talking about how that we're outside of uh, how god's outside of time and we are in time we're in a certain timeline so god sees things much differently than we do and so he exercises his sovereignty and the decisions that he's ordained and the things that he's decided uh, in time and space, right? And so that's just what this is, is trying to, to tell us in, in this little quote that I just read, that he has liberty. He's free to, to make decisions, um, and the decisions that he makes, once he makes them, they're immutable. They're not going to change, and they're going to be exercised in time and space, if that makes sense, right? So, in other words, God who's outside of time, knowing all things and controlling all things, he's already chosen the outcome of certain circumstances in our lives. Um, yesterday, today, tomorrow, forever. Um, but he's ordained that it's by prayer much of the time in which he moves and acts in time and space right it's because of prayer that's the way that he's ordained it if that makes sense does that make sense okay well cool um yeah the next point here says pr 
prayer is vitally important. And then I've got another quote from Steve Charnock. Does anybody want to read this, this quote? Steve, would you read this quote from Stephen Charnock? Prayer doth not desire any change in God, but is offered to God that he would confer those things which he hath immutably willed to communicate, that he willed them not without prayer as the means of bestowing them. Yeah. Yeah, so... This is one of the things, and I can't remember if I if I talk about this later. I may be repeating myself on this, but understanding how that God has ordained certain things come to pass through prayer um, is something that should be real encouraging to us. We we say, well, you know, if God's immutable, why am I praying for my pastor? Why am I praying for missionaries? Why am I praying for people in ministry? Um, God's will is going to be carried out, you know, whether I'm praying for these pastors and missionaries and things, it's going to be carried out anyway, right? Well, when it comes to, to these type of things, um, I believe that we kind of um, align ourselves with these missionaries and pastors and teachers and people that are in ministries. And so when we're praying for these people, and these people are out, and they're doing God's work, and they're preaching the Word of God, they're preaching the Gospel, we're praying for these people, you know, we're praying that God blesses their ministry, that God prospers them in everything that they do. Then whenever God does prosper them, and He does, and blesses them, and their ministries grow, and the Gospel spreads, then we're just partaking in that, even though they may be on the other, another plant on another continent somewhere right they're somewhere far away from us and we're praying for them or or Brandon we're praying for him here and he's blessing other people that we don't even know and so there's a certain aspect of how that we are coming together and concurring in these things um, by praying for these people so this is another thing I think that's really important um, for us because it you know we've talked we've talked about how the God it, our prayers doesn't change God our prayers change us, right? And so there's so many different things in which that this kind of works and, and moves together. And so that's it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. Any thoughts on that? I just think that it shows um, God that we're trusting in Him, like we rely on Him. It's, it's, it's us being able to say, you know, God, I trust you, and so I'm petitioning you because I know that you have my best interest at heart. Like, you're acknowledging that in yeah. prayer, that you're acknowledging his, his immutability, yeah. <laughs> whatever. I mean, yeah. it's kind of like an acknowledgement. Yeah, that his perfect will is going to work out in your life, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's it's a good point. We don't know what it is but we do know and that's why we we pray to him because it's like i know that you're working things out for me and this is my desire but i want your desire yeah in my life yep yep that's a good point that's a good point let's read this next point it says prayer is one of the ways god has chosen to operate in our world if we fail to pray god will not move upon some of the things he has ordained to happen in our lives his permissive will. We would be missing out on God's blessing. So we've talked about, that's why that we 
covered the wills of God. And we talked about how that there's different wills of God. There's um, God's decreed will, which shall come to pass, right? No matter what, it's going to come to pass. And then we have this type of will, which is his permissive will, which is the things that we've learned, that we learn in Scripture, that God has given us um, certain, certain boundaries that we are to stay within. Um, and we can choose whether or not to be obedient. And that's a part of sanctification, right? So sanctification is, is learning that dependence upon God, learning to, um, to walk in the fruit of the Spirit at all times in the things that God has ordained in us to walk in, right? So, um, but we don't have to, right? And that's why, that's why we call it God's permissive will. We can be rebellious. That's why we can go out and we can sin, right? God doesn't stop us from sinning. We can go out and we can choose right now to go out there and sin. If we wanted to, we could. And God, in, in a way, he didn't ordain it, but he says, you know, that's you, bud, right? That's you. Um, and so he kind of backs off. And so what this is talking about is that that prayer is one of those ways um, that God has ordained for us to align with that uh, perfect will of God in uh, in our lives and to grow and to move in that and to to stay within those boundaries that God has set forth, right? Instead of getting outside and becoming uh, a, a rebellious Christian for a while. <laughs> and we all know that the most miserable people on the planet are rebellious Christians. <laughs> yeah, that is the most miserable people on the planet. Yeah, so that's that's just talking. That's another aspect of prayer. So that's Anybody? like James four two. You do not have because you do not ask. Yeah. So that's where. That ties in. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, that's a good point. The next point says, God is sovereign and immutable. God has ordained what happens and by what means things happen. So I've got another quote here. Uh, and it's from Arthur Pink, which is, you know, you guys know it's one of my favorite theologians. I love Arthur Pink. Does anybody want to read this, this quote from Arthur Pink? Vicki, you want to read it? Fear is encouragement to prayer. There is no cause for fearing that the petitions of the righteous will not be heard, or that their sighs and tears shall escape the notice of God, since he knows the thoughts and intents of the heart. There is no danger of the individual saint being overlooked amidst the multitude of supplicants who daily and hourly present their various petitions, for an infinite mind is as capable of paying the same attention to millions as if only one individual were seeking its attention. So too, the lack of appropriate language, the inability to give expression to the deepest longing of the, is that supposed to be seven? Uh, just cross that out, soul. <laughs> the soul will not jeopardize our prayers, for it shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer, and while they are yet speaking, I will hear. Yeah, this is so comforting, to, just to to understand that, it, and it's it, it's it's very encouraging that 
that God is so big and so infinite that whenever it doesn't matter who you are, where we're at, if there's you know a hundred million people all praying at the same time to God, he 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 hears each one of our prayers and he hears it perfectly and he pays perfect attention to to everything that we say and we've talked uh, we went over um, how that God's omnipresent and that's one of the things that's comforting because God is here with us right now whenever you're at home alone and you're praying God is with you at, in that moment and so um, we don't have to be afraid that God isn't hearing these things and these these tears that we cry and these different things that he's um, that Arthur Pink is is uh, pull, pulling out here and, and showing us that God is merciful, He's kind, He's loving, and He has compassion, and and so we can take great comfort in this. And He hears our prayers. He hears our prayers, and so we can't we can't go too far, you know, to say, well, God's so immutable that why should I even pray? You know why? Why should I even pray? It, it's not like he's you know. Gonna, I'm going to change his mind. Uh, we can't. That's going way too far. You know, that's going outside um, and, and taking things to the extreme. Because I think that these things are important to God. I do. I think that praying to God, um, it shows Him our how much that we love Him. He sees our 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 tears. He sees. Uh, the things that we're passionate about, the things that um, we want to do to glorify Him, and He responds, right? He responds to these things, and these things have been ordained. Prayer is the way that um, that He carries them out, right? He carries out His what He's ordained through our prayers. Um, the next point here says prayer, and I'm on page 78. Prayer is one of the ways we are blessed by God when we pray for people in ministry. It is like we are concurring with them, being a part of what they're doing. When God blesses them for their effort, He blesses us for our concurring with them. So we already talked a little, little bit about this. Um, I already brought it up. But to me, it's so comforting. I mean, there's, there's guys, there's certain pastors that I pray for every day. Every day I pray for these guys. Um, and... It's comforting to know when I see them and in their effect that they're having in America and in other parts of the world that um, I kind of feel like I'm a part of that, you know? I, I kind of feel like that you know, I've been praying for these pastors. And so in a way, you know, I, I'm, I'm concurring with their ministry and God's hearing that and God is pouring blessings out on them and he's pouring blessings out on me because I'm praying for them. And we're all in this together, right? So it's very comforting to me to know that, and I and I pray for you know missionaries, and I and I go you know I don't even know their names, I, I I just pray for missionaries, you know please bless missionaries in other countries, you know give them the resources that they need, protect them, give them safety, help them to be effective in in presenting the gospel, you know give them the things that they need to to live and to prosper and to to be able to travel and all these things, you know so that's one of the things that I pray for, and it's people that I don't even know. Um, but when I hear about things that's happened in foreign countries that missionaries have been a part of and they've been effective, then I do. It makes me kind of feel like I'm part of that. And I think that's part of what prayer does for us, you know? And it's nothing about us. 
It's that it's that um, being that part of Christ, the family. We're the family of God. So it's kind of like when we we see people in our own family, our immediate family, and they're being prosperous in certain things. We feel good about that, right? Because we're part of of the family. Well, this is one big family, the family of God, and it stretches um, for all of time, right? And so this is one of the things that's encouraging to me, and uh, and one of the reasons why I think it's important to pray for for people in ministry. You guys ever thought about that? Didn't Paul talk about? I I appreciate your prayers. I mean, in every letter he wrote. Yeah. You know, they, yeah. they were partakers in his ministry because they. Yep. 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 That's right. That's right. That's right. And so now, um, this is something that I keep bringing up on this next question, but I think it's important because a lot of people struggle with this, and it says, what about Bible passages that seem to indicate that God has changed his mind? And we've already covered this several times, but it's a good little thing. See if you guys have been paying attention. <laughs> so, um, what about that? What about these, and I've got some of them listed here. Uh, Genesis 6, 6, the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. And I'm not going to read that big one from the numbers. You guys can read it. But you get the idea. There's different passages uh, where it seems like God changed his mind. How, how do we explain that? You remember the word anthropomorphic, right? Yeah, we've talked about anthropomorphic language and that how that God speaks to us in ways that we can understand. That's one of the ways that he communicates to us that... Um, Baby talk. Baby talk. Yeah, exactly. Baby talk. That's what we need. We need to be able to understand. Because we're, sometimes we get the wrong idea anyway. <laughs> but So God communicates to us in a way that um, sometimes is shocking. And that's the point. You know, whenever in Genesis 6, 6, the Lord was sorry that he made man on the earth. <laughs> and he was grieved in his heart. That's telling us something, right? It's telling us that this is very serious. This is a, a serious thing that the world was so wicked, was so evil, that um, that God was sorry that he ever created man. That's not saying that that he that he changed his mind or that something like he didn't see that coming all of a sudden like, oh, like they're really wicked, you know? <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I think I messed up. Yeah. <laughs> I shouldn't have ever made them. So that's that's not the point, and it's always good for us to to see, you know, a good a good way to interpret scripture is is to say, well, what is God trying to communicate here? We know that He's immutable. We know that He's omniscient. We know that um, He know He knew before He created man exactly what was going to happen. Um, so you know, what is He trying to tell us here? What's he trying to say? And there's so many different examples that we can we can point to. I've got three of them here, and and it's all it's pointing back on us. Is what it does, and and it says, man, I, I should be careful. I need to um, to be repentant whenever I grieve God. You know, whenever I grieve the Holy Spirit, it's something that should concern me, <laughs> right? It's something that should bother me. It should drop me to my knees in repentance uh, whenever I sin against God. Um, because this is the way that he's communicating that he's grieved, right? That 
um, that sin is so ugly to God. It's so it's so you know disgusting that He's trying to communicate here. Saying, hmm, "I wish I wouldn't have even made you." You know, <laughs> I think He got our attention when He said that, right? And that's what He's doing. He's getting our attention. So, um, is that kind of like when a parent, you know, might say, "Sometimes I wonder where I had children." You know, not that anybody in this room has ever said anything, <laughs> but you know, it's at that moment that you're trying to get through to them how serious it is. Yeah. Yep. That's a good point. That's a good point. So I've got a question at the bottom of the page, and I think I talk about it. The fourth word where it says he, fifth word, that needs to be crossed out. So. The question is supposed to read: Was God surprised that man that my, mankind became so wicked? Was God surprised that Nineveh repented? Was God surprised that Moses pled for Israel? Because that's what each of these passages are talking about. And of course, the answer is no. Right? The answer is no. He's just communicating to us that he hates sin, and so what we're seeing in these passages is God's providence. We're seeing God's providence carried out. We're going to get into God's providence. That's one of the attributes of God we're going to cover. So God ordained that these things happen, and he providentially used justice, right, to turn the hearts of man to himself. And that's what God does. And he does that through prayer, because whenever we see that God, um, like in uh, Nineveh and, and uh, with Jonah and, and in Numbers that we just, if you want to read this about Moses pleading for Israel, this is prayer, right? This is um, these men of God praying to God uh, for, for mercy, right? And so he's providentially using this justice to turn the hearts of men is what he does. That's another thing that um, the prayer does. So God's God's will is done um, by threatening justice, is what he's doing. Receiving prayer and then execu executing mercy, right? Uh, this, is, this is the way that some of the things that God has ordained. That flies really irritate me. He was over here, man. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he just went in my ear. So. Um, <clears throat> Don't so worry. he was cleaning his little wings on my books. So oh, he's so he's he's he's, 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 he's clean, man. They're so cute. Yeah, yeah. So so God, we know that God's sovereign, and He carries out His sovereignty through providence. Uh, it's one of the ways that He works, and. We're going to talk more about that because we're a lot of this, the way that God moves through prayer, um, we're going to be getting into providence and the providence of God, which is, which is pretty cool when we get into that section on the attributes. So now we got a few questions here to see if everybody was paying attention. And, the, and some of these are really simple. Really simple. Uh, what does it mean that God is immutable? If anybody wants to answer an easy one. Unchanging. Very good. That's right. Incapable of change, right? Unchanging and incapable of change. Uh, the next question says, why is it important that God is immutable? Why is, it, why is that important? You can trust on Him. Yeah. Exactly. 
we can trust that he's going to do what he said he's going to do, right? Absolutely. That's very important. And it's very comforting. And it's, as we've discussed last week, it can be concerning <laughs> if you're lost, right? God's not going to change his mind over justice. He's not going to change his mind over the amazing things that he has in store for us, his children. But he's also not going to change his mind over the way that he's going to punish the wicked. Um, and that's one of the things that should motivate us to tell them the gospel. Right? It's one of the things that, that should concern us to the point um, to, to warn people and share the gospel with them because we don't want to see that ever happen to anybody, even our worst enemies, right? So the next question says, what does it mean that God is impassive or without passions? The controversial one. Anybody want to answer that? What does it mean that God is impassive or without passions? Well, he's 100% of all of his attributes um, and not swayed by emotions or other um, outside forces or people or anything that way. So um, if he's 100%, he, he can't change. It's hard to improve on perfection, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, to, so, so to say that God is, is passionate somehow... Um, is to say that he's not perfect. Because if you're perfect, you're not going to exceed that. Right? If you're 100% to the max at all the time, at all times, at any given time, it doesn't matter if it's, you know, a thousand years ago or a thousand years from now, he's always the same. He never changes. And he's perfect. Um, then there's no room for uh, passions, right? Because that would show a flaw in God. That would show that he had some, you know, some room to be a little more loving or a little more um, excited whenever it comes to, to us. But he doesn't have room to do that because he's at the max at all times. Yeah, so that's, that's a, a really good answer. That's a good answer. So the next question says, if God is impassive, how does he love? And this is an easy one. It's not, it might, may look like a trick question, but it's really an easy one. How does he love if God in, is impassive? He's 100% love. Yeah, so you could say perfectly. <laughs> That's how he loves, right? <laughs> he loves perfectly. Yeah, without flaw. There's no um, roller coaster. There's no... Uh, you know, I love them more today than I did yesterday because they did something impressive, right? It's like, yeah, they, he did something cool today. I'm going to love him more, right? So his love is, is perfect at all times. Yep, that's good, that's good. If God is immutable, why do we pray? So we just answered some of this, but how can we boil this down? If God is immutable, why do we pray? Relationship. Relationship, yeah. That's good. That's good. And it's the right relationship, right? The right. Because I, I always say, well, everybody technically has a relationship with God. You either have a good one or a bad one, right? 
either have a good one or a bad one because whether you like it or not, your lungs are expanding because he's the one that's allowing them to expand, you know. So everything that we do, we have a relationship with God to a degree. It's either a good one or a bad one. We want to have a good relationship with God. <laughs> and that's one of the things that prayer does is it helps us to to understand who we are and who he is and our dependence on him and have that relationship that that are the, the good right kind of relationship to grow and to uh, for us to mature right for us to mature in that relationship and grow because he's already perfect in that relationship right absolutely that's good that's good so the, la the last question says in what way is mankind Immutable. Sinners, we're not going to change. <laughs> yeah. Oh. <laughs> That's right. We are, mankind is immutable in their sins unless God intervenes, right? When God intervenes and gives us a new heart, then now we, uh, our relationship has changed. But outside of God, the heart of man is wicked. Without the gospel, man is not going to change. Man's not going to change. It's not Buddha's not going to change anybody, <laughs> right? Uh, Muhammad's not going to change anybody. I mean, the, going to a motivational speaker—that's that's not going to change anybody. Or, or reading a self-help book or <laughs> any of those things. None of it's really going to change you. All it's going to do. Me and Steve talked. Uh, Friday we have coffee uh, Fridays and we talked about how that some, what people tend to do is they they have a sin and they just they they want they see it and they want to work on it like alcoholism or whatever and they just in in order to avoid it they replace it with another sin <laughs> you know something else that is an idol or something else that is um, as equally sinful in the in the sight of God it may not be in our sight. Because we uh, look down on people who have addictions to alcohol or things like that. We tend to do that. But God sees uh, a liar just as wicked as an alcoholic, you know. So, I mean, we got to... God sees things differently than we do. So, um, yeah, that's the, those are all good points, though. Anything else? Because this is the last question on the immutability of God, so this is your last chance. <laughs> <laughs> Couple thoughts. Yeah. One is um, the anthropomorphic passages. I think a bigger principle is that we interpret the confusing passages with the ones that are clear. And so we have plenty of crystal clear passages that explain that God is unchanging. Yeah. And so when we look at these, it can't mean that. It can't mean that He did change. Right. Because Scripture can't contradict itself. Yeah. Another one is, you know, that really secular humanism has been kind of the religion of our culture now for probably almost 70 years. I mean, it seems like Norman Vincent Peale's and those people started out in the 50s. Yeah. Talking about, you know, fulfill your potential as a human being and Maslow's hierarchy stuff. But look at us. We're not better off than we were a hundred years ago. <laughs> I mean, look what's happening. Yeah. And not in um, just in our culture, but in the entire world, you know. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. 
So that goes to your last question about how are we immutable? Mm -hmm. No matter how good we tell ourselves we are, you know, we're selfish to the core unless God changes us. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's one of the things we talked about in study school when I, this morning with the kids was in talking about church history and why it's so important to understand church history. And one of the reasons is, well, so we're not deemed to make the same mistakes over and over again. Because that's what seems to happen is the same things are just recycled again and again and again. Um, but it is exactly for that very reason that you just brought out is because we are... Um, wicked people and so we're constantly uh, just regurgitating um, things that we that we think is, is an improvement <laughs> but they're really things that have already been tried and already fallen on on its face and we just you know we think well we've got a new good idea here I think this is gonna work <laughs> yeah that secular humanism is, is one of those very things um, there's a you know there's so many different ideologies and worldviews that have come come and gone. You know, now they say that we're post-Christian view is what they say now. You know, um, we're past. You know, because this this country that was supposed to be founded on Christianity, and now uh, with postmodernism, you know, is the last the, the last big worldview. Now they're saying, well, we're post-Christian. We're post-Christianity <laughs> because postmodernism has so um, messed up the way that the world views um, views things, and so it's uh, that's what Satan's job has always been. But these are these are not new ideas. Uh, the, the world's always been against Christians; it always has, um, and, it, and it will be until Jesus Christ comes back. And that's why that uh, each generation's faced with with heresies, with attacks from Satan, with, with some of the same, you know, same struggles that everybody else is, has, has had to face. Now sometimes you get into some weird things here recently, <laughs> you know, and you go, I wonder if the world ever, you know, <laughs> you know had to deal with that one, because that's, that's, uh, that's a new one. Where'd that come from, you know? How many genders are there now? <laughs> You know, <laughs> it's taught as truth. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So, ah, that's a good point. Anybody I have else? A question. Yeah. On page seventy-seven, the prayers one of the comments, uh, almost half a little past halfway down. Prayer is one of the ways God has chosen to operate the world, and it goes on. If we fail to pray, God will not move upon some of the things He has ordained to happen in our lives and before we get uh, his permissive will. But God already knows that we're going to fail, so he's not really moving upon some of the things he has ordained. Is that just meaning that, all right, this is God's perfect plan, he'd love to have us be doing this, and then we mess up, and uh, he would still like to see us do that, but we've messed up. So now we're messing out on God's blessings because we're not doing what he would like, but he's already known that we're going to mess up anyway. So <laughs> Yeah, no, Is that that's what I'm understanding it. I know what you're saying. Yeah, so, you know, an example could be somebody that's called into the ministry to be a, a preacher, 
you know, and you know, and they just refuse to move into that. God sometimes is passive and saying, you know, I'm not going to force you to do that. Sometimes he does, but sometimes he doesn't. Uh, you can say the same thing with people in different roles. Maybe somebody's been called to be a teacher, and they're saying, I don't want to teach. Or somebody's been called to be a musician, and they say, or maybe they've been called to be a teacher, and they say, no, I want to be a musician. <laughs> that happens a lot too, right? <laughs> so they're like, I want to be on stage, even though that's not my gifting. Uh, my gifting is, is teaching. Well, if, if, um, if, you're, if your gifting is teaching, and you say, well, I don't want to be a teacher, I want to play the guitar, even though God hadn't really called me to do that, but I like it, I enjoy it. Well, then you're missing out on those blessings, right? You're missing out on the things that God has called you to do. Um, he, he's given us all gifts, and so we can act upon them or not. That's why that 20% of the people do 100% of the work in the church, because people are not acting on their gifts. And so they're really missing out on those blessings from God, where God will bless you whenever you're moving and operating in the things that he's called you to do, right? 